This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. You're invited to join us at our worship assemblies each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. This is a chart uh, that came out a, a couple years ago, but it's a very interesting chart in my mind, and I don't know if you can see the title of it, but this is a, a Gallup poll, and uh, the question was, do you happen to be a member of a church, a synagogue, or a mosque? So this is taken into account three major religions, Christianity, uh, Islam, and Judaism. All three of those in the United States of America combined, and I want you to notice what has happened. If we go back to the 40s, and this would have been primarily Christianity, maybe some Judaism mixed in, but very, very few uh, Islam back in the 40s and, and 50s, you can see that number was in the 70s, 76 percent uh, or thereabouts in 1945-1950. And now we've got quite a few more in the Islamic religion, and yet that total number has dropped below 50 percent. And so there are less than 50% of the people that live in the United States of America that even consider themselves a member of a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. Less than 50%. That should concern us. That's not even uh, just Christians. If you take Islam and Judaism out of that number, we're going to drop off into the 30s. 30-something percent of Americans even consider themselves a member of a church. As we move on and think about this, there are said to be an estimated 2 million people that consider themselves a member of the Church of Christ in, in the world. That's worldwide. About 1.5 million, I think, is the estimate in the United States. 2 million worldwide. There are 8 billion people in the world. 8 billion. I'm not a mathematician, but that comes out to 25 thousandths of 1%. 25 thousandths of 1% of the world population that considers themselves to be a member of the church. To break it down even a little bit more, there are about 5,000 people that live in Wheeler County. About 5,000. Went through the directory and looked. There's about 86 members of this congregation. 86, 1.7% of the county population. And so I bring all those statistics up to ask you this question. Do you want this church to grow? Do you want it to be more than that 1.7%, a blip in the population of this county? You know, we could get every person in this county to be in this building. It really wouldn't move the the uh, number as far as worldwide, it would still just be a blip. But one soul matters to God. I want you to know that. One soul matters to God. The Bible says that there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth over ninety and nine just persons. One soul matters to God. Do you want this church to grow? Do you want there to be more people here next week than are here this week? Do you want there to be more people here in five years than there are today? Do you want this church to grow? And I suppose that's a silly question, isn't it? There's not a person here that would say, No, I don't want this church to grow. I like it just the way it is. I like just the number that we have. I don't want anybody else to come. There's not a person here that would say that. I don't think that for a minute. And so the real question becomes this. 
Are you willing to sacrifice your time and your resources to see this church grow? Are you willing to sacrifice your time because it is going to take your time to make this church grow? It will not grow if you don't sacrifice your time. If you don't sacrifice your resources, this church will not grow. It just won't if you are not willing to sacrifice those things. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 15, I want to note uh, a number here. The disciples were told to go and wait in Jerusalem for the kingdom to come, for, for them to have receive instructions for on high, from on high. And it says in Acts 1 and verse 15 that Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, and it says there the number of the names together were about 120. The church is getting ready to be established. And you know how many people were involved in that 120? You know, we'd look at that and say, that's a good-sized congregation, isn't it? 120 people, that's a good-sized congregation. They had something going good in Jerusalem. 120 disciples left over from when Jesus walked among them. And those 120 people gathered in Jerusalem. And what did they do? Did they say, man, we've got a good-sized congregation. Let's just fall into a maintenance mode and let's, let's just work with these 120 we got. Let's make sure uh, that we stay strong as 120. It's not at all what they did, is it? They went out and Peter stood up and it says that he, in the midst of them, said, uh, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up having loosed the bonds of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it he preached the gospel to them the death, the burial and the resurrection of Christ and what happens? Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They weren't satisfied with 120. And they knew they had the message that would cause growth in the church at Jerusalem. And they took that very simple message. Jesus came and lived and performed miracles among them. Jesus lived perfectly and righteously. Jesus went to the cross and died unduly and unjustly. And Jesus was resurrected from the dead. They preached that message. And 3,000 people responded to it. They were pricked in their heart. And they asked the question, what should we do? And they obeyed the gospel. And the church grew exponentially that day. And then we read a few chapters later where 5,000 more were added to the church. And then just a few more chapters later, multitudes, it says, both of men and women. You see, the church at Jerusalem had a blueprint in which they used to grow. And I want to look at that blueprint for just a while this morning and see if we here in Wheeler are applying that blueprint of growth to ourselves. I'm not saying we're going to add 3,000. There's only 5,000 people that live in this county. It would be unimaginable and unthinkable that we could add 3,000 at a time. But we've got to try to move the needle, don't we? We have a responsibility to grow this congregation, to do everything we can. There's joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. You know, when they got those 3,000, I would imagine 
there was some difficulties. And we read about some of those. These people were gathered from all over the world, all over the known world. They had come into Jerusalem for the Passover. And so there was a lot of management that had to take place. And they were concerned with that management and feeding one another and taking care of one another and providing funds for one another. They were concerned about all those things. But I want you to notice what else they were concerned about. Acts 2 and 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The church at Jerusalem experienced daily growth. You know, we get pretty excited when someone obeys the gospel uh, every month or couple months or six months. We, and, and we should be excited and we should rejoice about that. Every single day the church at Jerusalem was growing. They didn't set on 3,120 people. They didn't sit there and think that was good enough and we don't need to get any bigger than that. Daily they grew and they added to the church. Do you want this church to grow? Are you willing to sacrifice your time and resources to see it grow? Let's ask some questions. First, are you willing to grow? Let's forget about the numbers for a minute. When I'm talking about the church growing, I'm talking about numbers. I'm talking about filling up these chairs that are empty out in the audience. That's what I'm talking about in terms of church growth. But are you willing to grow? And when I'm talking about you being willing to grow, that's spiritually. That's adding knowledge. That's becoming wise. That's understanding how to take the knowledge you've gained from the Word and apply it and use it. That's making good decisions based on the knowledge and the wisdom that you have. That's growth. Are you willing to grow? These folks in Jerusalem were willing to grow. We're going to come back to Acts 2.42 several times throughout this study. It really lays that blueprint out. It says that these people at Jerusalem, the members of the Jerusalem congregation, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly. They were diligent in learning the apostles' doctrine. What was that doctrine? The Bible tells us in the book of John that Jesus explained to his apostles, those 12 apostles, that he was going to have to go away, that he was going to be crucified, and that he wasn't going to walk with them any longer. But when he was gone, he was going to send the Comforter, the Holy Ghost. He was going to send that Comforter to those 12 apostles, and the purpose of that Comforter was to put them in perfect remembrance of every single thing that Jesus did and said while he walked on this earth. Those 12 men had perfect remembrance of everything that Jesus said and did. Now, Judas, of course, betrayed Jesus, and he wasn't part of that. He committed suicide, and he wasn't on the earth anymore. He didn't have that remembrance. But Matthias was appointed to fill his spot, and he received that same blessing. So those 12 men had a perfect remembrance. And it says that any time they would go and talk to a group of people, they didn't have to take thought in themselves what they were going to say. They didn't have to prepare what they were going to say because it was put into their mind what they were going to say. Perfect remembrance. They knew everything Jesus did. They knew everything Jesus said. That was their doctrine. That's what they taught. That's what they said. And so as these people in Jerusalem began to believe, they didn't share in that same perfect remembrance. You and I today don't share in that same perfect remembrance of everything Jesus did and said. We just don't know. And so we have to read it and study it. 
And we have to dedicate ourselves to the apostles' doctrine, which was the doctrine of Christ, which is what you have in your Bible when you pick it up and hold it in front of you today. That's the apostles' doctrine. It's the Word of God. It's the words of Jesus. And these people studied it, and they dedicated themselves to it. That's growth. They were growing. They were learning. They were becoming stronger in spiritual health. You and I have to do the same thing. If you want this church to to grow in numbers, you've got to grow spiritually. You've got to become stronger day by day. You've got to study the Word. You've got to become established in the Word. Colossians 2 and verse number 6 says, As ye therefore receive Christ Jesus in the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. He said, you've received Jesus. You've received that word. He said, now walk in Him. Be rooted and built up. Grow. Grow just like a plant would grow. That plant puts its roots down into the soil. It draws those nutrients, and it grows. And it's evident. You can see that growth. You can see it happening. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 15, Paul admonishes Timothy, meditate upon these things. What things? The apostles' doctrine. Paul was an apostle. Paul was expounding to Timothy apostolic doctrine. And he tells him, give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. The word profiting there is, is growth. That your growth may appear to all. That people will see your growth. And as they see your growth, they're going to want to be a part of that. They're going to be a want, want to be a part of something that is not tearing someone down, but is building someone up, that is helping them and teaching them and admonishing them and showing them how to live the best life that we can possibly live. Are you willing to grow? Number two, are you willing to connect with the other members of this congregation in a meaningful way? That's what these folks at Jerusalem did. They continued steadfastly in fellowship. They connected with one another. There was at least 3,120 of them there on day one. And then daily there were more and more and more daily. And they had to spend time connecting with one another. Learning about one another. Learning about one another's challenges. Learning about what one another liked to do in their free time. Learning about one another and appreciating one another. And if this congregation is going to grow, we've got to be willing to connect with one another in a meaningful kind of way. Romans chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul says, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established. That is, I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. When we're together, we feed off one another's mutual faith. And you can just feel it when you walk into a place and you have that mutual faith one of another and appreciation of one another because you know the struggles, the trials that one another go through. And when we're not around one another, we can't appreciate that. (laughs) It's hard to dislike somebody that you're around and have connected with. I made the comment to Zane a couple weeks ago, Duke's playing North Carolina. Everybody knows I'm not a big North Carolina fan. And they got this bearded fellow that plays for them named Brady Manick. And I said, boy, I just dislike that guy. (laughs) Can't hardly stand to look at him. I just dislike him. Why? Because he doesn't play for the team I like. 
You know what? I bet if I ever had the chance to get to know him on a personal level, probably have a lot in common with him. Probably could even learn to like the guy. I don't dislike Zane, and he likes North Carolina, so, so there you go. Differences become much less meaningful. The few little minor differences that we may have, they're not important. When we're around each other, when we've connected with one another, when we understand one another, those differences become very minuscule. And we can appreciate the struggles that one another go through. Paul said to these folks, look, I'll be comforted with you. And you'll be comforted with me. He said, I want to see you in person. This letter's one thing, but it's not the same. It's not the same as being there. It's not the same as enjoying your company. We've got to be willing to connect with one another. Because when people see that connection that we have together, that mutual respect, that love for one another that we have, they're going to want to be a part of that. They're going to want to be a part of that. Are you willing to connect? Are you willing to fully engage in the worship service? Fully engage in the worship service. Be present during the worship service. Not just, not just physically present, but present. Spiritually present. Engaged. Singing with your whole heart. Enjoying the communion together. Knowing that all over the world Christians are gathered around this table. Remembering the death of our Savior. Communing together. Not just here in this place, but everywhere. Christians gathered together doing that. Are you engaged in that? When we pray, are you listening? Are you engaging in that? When the songs are sung, are you giving it your whole effort, your whole heart? Are you willing to fully engage in the worship process? These folks at Jerusalem were. They continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread and prayers. Steadfastly. Dedicated themselves to worship. Dedicated themselves to that communion. To coming around the Lord's table fully, completely, totally engaged in that process. Praying for the church. Both in the assembly and outside of the assembly. Praying for its growth, for its strength. For things to happen in the church. For opportunities to occur that the church might grow. Are you engaged? 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 24 but if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus the secrets of his heart are made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. As he lays out the guidelines for the assembly, Paul says if somebody comes in and there's prophesying taking place, if there's heartfelt worship taking place, he said the unbelievers are going to come in and they're going to hit their knees and say, God is here. We have a visitor come in here today. Would they say that? This, this place is full. God is here. God is present. This place is full of heartfelt worship. Now, I've been to assemblies in other places that just felt flat. People didn't really try to sing. They didn't put in their, their heart, soul, effort into it. I'm not talking about whether it sounds good or not. I'm talking about volume, effort to try to make it sound like we want to sing, like we want to worship. Prayers, are they heartfelt? Are they meaningful? Are they flat? Do we get up and apologize for the message we're about to preach? Or do we share the truth from God's Word? 
Somebody comes in and they're going to fall down on their face and say, God is here. God is among these people. Is that the reaction we're going to get? If it is, then this church will grow. This church will grow if we can get that kind of reaction. If we're that engaged in worship. But if it's flat and if we don't care. And if we're just ready to get back out the door. This church won't grow. Can't grow. Not with that kind of attitude. Are you happy in your approach? Are you happy and living the Christian life? Are you excited about the kind of life Christ has called you to live? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be happy in every aspect of Christian service, of Christian life? In the good times and the bad, will you remain happy and excited? The church of Jerusalem did. This church received almost immediate persecution. Almost immediately, they began to take those apostles and cast them into jail. Almost immediately. And yet, what did they do? It says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with what? Gladness. Gladness and singleness of heart. It would have been a pretty exciting time to be a part of that congregation in Jerusalem, wouldn't it? Go from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 to multitudes being added daily, daily, daily. It had been pretty exciting. But you know, they underwent some struggles that we have no idea how difficult it would have been to endure those kind of things. And yet they remained happy in every aspect, excited. If you're not happy in your efforts to be a Christian, that is an indicator that something's wrong. And I don't say that to be judgmental in any way. I just say that so you'll know that is a red flag that something is wrong. Because God has given us the blueprint of a happy life. Of how to live a happy life. And when we go out into the world, people should look at us and notice something is strange because of how happy we are. And so if you're not happy, it's an indicator that there's some other issue. And you need to look within your heart. And you need to think about, how can I become happy in my service to God? This is uh, the end of Luke. Luke is writing here. This rolls right into the book of Acts. Luke is the writer of Luke. He's the writer of the book of Acts. And so this would have been just preceded Acts chapter 1. They have went to Jerusalem to wait. And it says that they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Jesus has just been lifted up away from them. He's gone. You wouldn't think that would be a period to have such great joy. But they knew the church was coming. The church was coming. And they were going to be a part of the church's establishment. And as a result of that, they experienced great joy. Today, you are part of the church. The Lord's church that was established all those years ago. That in and of itself should give you great joy. Excitement. And a desire to see that church grow. Acts chapter 8 and verse 8. They expanded from Jerusalem. They went down to Samaria. Philip preaches the gospel in that city. And so he's planting a new congregation. He's establishing a new congregation. And what does it say? There was great joy in that city. Great joy in that city. When the church came to that city. There was joy. Joy. Almost nine years ago. We moved this church to this city. And there's great joy. I remember great joy that we had. It was a challenging time. 
But it was a period of great joy. And you know what? We have experienced tremendous growth since that time. We went from a congregation of, I would estimate, the size of about 50 to what I showed you all ago, about 86. So we've grown that much in that period of time. And so I'm not telling you these things because I think we're not growing. We have grown. We are growing. This is a growing church. But I tell you these things because I think that period of growth is over. We've experienced all the growth we're going to experience from simply making a move to a new city. And now the next phase of growth is going to have to occur because we put our minds to that effort and we go to work and we start doing these things. We start growing personally and spiritually. We start connecting with one another. We start fully engaging in worship and we show everybody how excited and happy we are about that. That's going to cause church growth. You may be sitting there thinking, you haven't even talked about discussing this with anybody outside the church. That's right. We've got to put our house in order. And when our house is in order and we've done these things, we can begin to expand. We can begin to start talking to people outside the church. I know of a congregation that uh, got down to so few at one point in time when someone would come in and visit. They would visit the service. They would visit the assembly. And they wouldn't see these things. You know what they did? They never came back. Never came back. We've got to be a congregation that when someone visits us, they see these things. They see Christians that are growing. They see Christians that love each other. They see Christians that are engaged in worship. And they see Christians that are just happy. Just happy to be there. And when they see those things, they'll want to be a part of that congregation. And then that takes us to the next phase. Are you willing to be generous? Generous with people in this church. Generous with people outside this church. Generous with people in this community that need our help. Are you willing to be generous? Because the church at Jerusalem was generous. Generous beyond our wildest imaginations. The church in Jerusalem was generous. Acts 4 and 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. This one's a little bit difficult for me to understand in, in the King's English, so I'm going to show you what it says out of the New King James in a more modern English. It says in Acts 4.32 in the New King James, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. They didn't say, this is mine. You know what I have said before to someone? I have a trailer you can borrow my trailer. That's generous, I guess, but it's my trailer. You can borrow what's mine. But I've had members of this congregation tell me before, you come over to the shop and whatever's mine is yours. It's yours. That's the attitude of generosity these folks had in Jerusalem. Only they sold all their land and all their possessions and they brought it to the apostles' feet and they laid it down there. And they said, this is not mine, it's ours. That was the attitude of generosity that they had. When you see someone in need, are you generous in this community? I will tell you, that will make more of a difference than anything as far as getting people to want to be a part of the church. People need to see that the church is a group of generous individuals. 
1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him. If we see someone in need, and, we're, and we have what they need, and we don't give it, we don't have the love of God. We're not Christians. We're not Christians, if that's our attitude. We're not disciples of Jesus, because the attitude of Jesus was, Whatever I have, you can have. Jesus didn't have much. Jesus wasn't a rich man. But whatever Jesus had, he would give. Whatever his disciples had, they would give. And whatever we have, we should give to help the church, to help the community, to help our fellow man in general. Are you generous? Are you willing to be generous? And finally, are you willing to be evangelistic? We can do all these other things and if we don't preach that message that Peter preached in Acts 2 verses 22 to 24 when he said here's Jesus he lived among you he did these miracles you put him to death he died on the cross and God brought him forth from the grave. That's the message of hope. The message of salvation. The message the only message that can save mankind's soul that can put them in a right standing with God and you have it. You have the message of hope, the message of life. We've got to share that message. We've got to do these kind of things to show that we follow Jesus, that we are truly disciples, that we truly care about people, and then we've got to tell them the message of Jesus. We've got to share it with them. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus. Every day. Every single day. Now I'm going to confess to you. Sometimes I go to work. And I meet somebody. And, and I may mention Jesus. may mention the church. And if they don't act very interested. I probably don't bring it up again. You think Peter and the apostles encountered people that wasn't very interested? I think the Bible records that they did. Not only were they not interested, they were willing to fight them about it. They were willing to fight them about it. They were willing to throw them in prison about it. And what did they do? They went right back to the same place. The same place that they had encountered the persecution the day before. They went back and they taught it again there. They preached the message of Jesus. Why? Because it's the power to save. It's the only thing that can save. And they knew that. And they were part of a church. And they were happy to be a part of the church. And they wanted to see that church grow. Not for just the sake of having more people. Not for the sake of having more money. Not for the sake of having a bigger building. Because it put people in right standing with God. And that's what the growth of the church is all about. To save souls. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 6, Paul said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. This church has a twofold job, doesn't it? Plant and water. Plant and water. Plant and water. Continually planting and watering. That's our job. God will give the increase. Maybe not as soon as you want. Maybe not as much as you want. But I have never seen 
people plant and water and God not give increase. When we dedicate ourselves steadfastly to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayers, to being happy, to being generous, to preaching the gospel steadfastly over and over again, more planting and more watering. God will give increase. He just will. That's the way God works. Church can't grow if you don't plant water. Say that again. The church can't grow if you don't plant and water. Are you willing to do these things? I would imagine you can look at that list and there is nothing mind-blowing on that list. Nothing you hadn't heard a thousand times before. Nothing you haven't read yourself in the scriptures. Most of that stuff is contained right there in Acts chapter 2. And the subsequent chapters talking about the church at Jerusalem. They did these things. The first church did these things. And the first church grew like no other church ever has. Why don't we get back to that? Why don't we look at these simple things and do them? They're easy to read. They're easy to look at. They're much harder to do. Much harder to do. But I encourage you this morning, do these things. Dedicate yourself to them. So that this church will grow. So that souls can be added to the Lord's kingdom. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about what you have heard, email us at cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash wheelerareacfc.